0: Hello, everyone. Great to have you back for another episode of Battleground PA. We are really kicking into high gear now with the 2020 elections just weeks away and the Democratic National Convention has started. So stay tuned, we'll have our analysts, Rajette Harris, Jeffrey Lord, and a new person joining us for this one, John Cole with Politics PA. Stay tuned. We will be right back.
1: This is Battleground VA, a live podcast discussing the issues that matter to Pennsylvanians and documenting the events in our state that will shape the battle for your vote in the 2020 presidential elections.
0: Okay, we are back. And if you would like to join us, please do so. You can send an email at topics at battlegroundpa.org, or you can find us on Twitter or Facebook at Battleground PA. Again, this is Joyce Davis, Pen Live's opinion editor, coming to you with this episode that will focus mostly on the Democratic convention, but we've got to always talk about the coronavirus and whatever else is going on in politics. And to help us with that, I want to first introduce Rajette Hello. Harris, who, by the way, is a delegate to the Democratic National Convention. Welcome, Rajette. Hello, everyone. Great, great. Stay tuned. I'm going to bring Jeffrey Lord. Jeffrey Lord, our trusted uh, Republican here. How are you, Jeffrey, today?
1: I am doing just fine.
0: Still close to the beach?
1: <laughs> Still close to the beach, as I will be for another week. So how much finer can it get?
0: Let me tell you, I'm so envious. I enjoy. Enjoy twice for me. So, John, Cole, why don't we welcome you from Politics PA. How are you today?
2: Doing well, Joyce. Thanks for having me back.
0: Okay. we're Absolutely happy to have you back. And before we get started, why don't we just ask John, just tell us a little bit about yourself in Politics PA because folks who've been listening to us, they know Rajat, they know Jeffrey, they know me. Tell us a little bit about yourself and we will get started.
2: Absolutely. So again, I appreciate the opportunity for you guys uh, to have me back. My name is John Cole. I'm the managing editor of PoliticsPA.com. With PoliticsPA, we try our best to cover everything in the state for Pennsylvania politics. So that means races in the state legislature, from state house, state senate races, to races for US Congress, and of course, the statewide races, which we have three of them this year with Auditor General Attorney General and Treasurer. And of course, the big race we're all talking about, and I know we'll talk about today, of course, is the presidential race in Pennsylvania. We know how important this state is for 2020. And again, even though the presidential race is important, and we're covering that, there's a ton of races in the state that we are focusing on and reporting on as well.
0: Got it. Well, you're the right person to be here with us to add some insights. But let's start. Jeffrey, you will allow me to start with Rojette because she is in an important position now and all the spotlights are on the Democrats right now. So, Rojette, you know, we know the conventions are meant to rev things up. and to, So tell us, is this working? What, what do you see a virtual convention able to do for your base?
3: The ratings actually have been pretty decent for being virtual for the first time. For TV ratings, the viewership is only down 25% for the networks, and it's higher, obviously, for online viewing. So that says a lot that people are tuning in and paying attention for nights one and two with the convention. I think people are excited. Just to give a little, you know, a little recap. Day one, we talked about, you know, unity and the character of our two nom- of our nominee and the current president. You know, last night was also about character. You had Dr. Joe Biden, Joe Biden's wife, who, as a school teacher, talked about the coronavirus and schools. She talked about, you know, the parents and being an educator. She has firsthand knowledge of that. But she also focused on Joe Biden the man, the husband, the father, the human being. And who better knows you than your spouse? So she did a right. very well, that- nice job with that and then Joe Biden joined her afterwards, which I think was a really nice moment.
0: I do agree that was that was pretty uh, pretty emotional, pretty personable. You know, I mean, you got to know them as a person. She was, she was pretty admirable. I mean, let's bring Jeffrey, in and then we'll get to some other Jeffrey. You watched all of this. Were you touched at all by what you learned? By especially, I, I guess, even the great friendship apparently between McCain and Joe Biden. Wasn't that a bit touching?
1: Well, sure, but I, I mean, I, I just I don't want to sound cynical here because I'm not uh, the cynical type. And you don't want to sound soft been,
0: and nice and sweet. <laughs>
1: I, I've been, to, I've been, I've been to a lot of conventions. And there was always, always this kind of moment where somebody, spouse, child, best friend from the military, whomever, is brought out to testify that the candidate is really swell and, and they have this lovely background and they're loved to death and all that kind of thing. And I understand why they do it in the day and age of television it is a necessity so yeah it went very well for for the biden's there's no question and of course the thing with mccain is the dig at trump and all of this kind of thing so they did their deal and and i assure you i don't know how this is going to work next week for republicans but you know four years ago they had his kids testify, you know on behalf of their father this is what political campaigns are like at conventions these days so yeah they did fairly well with it
0: that's and John, John, as an as an average Joe looking out there, well, not maybe can't say average Joe because that's Joe Biden, but mm-hmm. as someone looking at this, did it? Do you think it reached just the average person? Let's also focus Pennsylvania, because they were focused on Pennsylvania during this convention as well.
2: Correct. So I think to the point of Dr. Joe Biden delivering that address, it is important in the sense that I think no matter who Republicans or Democrats want to make it a point to humanize their candidate, knowing that they're a human being, of course, no. Take the political rhetoric aside. Know that there's a person there of good value. Both sides are going to try to make the point that their presidential nominee is of good character. And, of course, the Democrats, uh, by and large, like Rajette saying, they were uh, very pleased with Dr. Joe Biden's speech last night. She has hit the campaign trail as well for um, former Vice President Joe Biden during this campaign thus far. She's even held virtual events in Pennsylvania talking about uh, the reopening of schools with the coronavirus pandemic going on. She held an event a couple of weeks ago with Senator Bob Casey in a virtual event talking about that. But again, for last night, I think Democrats were happy that Dr. Joe Biden, they believe she provided the address she needed to do. She humanized her uh, husband, and I think it was a, a story where, again, Democrats felt very comfortable and confident for the way she delivered that speech. Um, I guess so far, again, Democrats seem to be happy with everything it's, uh, that's gone thus far. A Michelle Obama's speech received raved reviews on Monday night. And then, I guess, to your point about the Pennsylvania angle, which is certainly cannot be ignored. On the first night of the convention, the theme was We the People. And they included, you know, like you said, the word average Joe. They had uh, some of those everyday people talking about why they're supporting Biden's candidacy. And they had two people in a uh, panel discuss it. And one was from, uh, one was a small business owner in the Philadelphia suburbs, and the other was a farmer out in Western PA. uh, Talked uh, about the trade war that has happened during the Trump presidency. So we've seen that Pennsylvania connection. And of course, last night there was the 17 Rising Stars keynote address to those in the political scene. Usually that's a speech that's slotted for one rising star in the party. In past years, in 2004, Barack Obama delivered that address while he was a state senator. And in previous years, there have been other rising stars in the party. Last night, they gave the opportunity for 17 different Democrats across the country to deliver a joint uh, video address. And it was uh, very brief messages. But having said that, there was of the 17, three of them were from Pennsylvania. And that's than yeah. any other state. Uh, you know, Congressman um, Connor Lamb, Congressman Brendan Boyle, and State Representative Malcolm Kenyatta all were featured in that video last night. And It goes to show how much they're really investing in the state because Pennsylvania is certainly pivotal. For this well, presidential election.
3: Yeah, but I think Pennsylvania yeah. missed the mark. And I just want to go back a little bit. I do think that the roll call was the highlight of the night. Personally, it really showed the rich diversity of this country. And I think doing it virtually, this is one part of doing it virtually that worked. With that said, when you look at Pennsylvania, when you have the two gentlemen that was highlighted and night one, the farmer, the businessman, Mm -hmm. All three rising stars were men, and we only had Senator Bob Casey do the roll call for Pennsylvania. So I think Pennsylvania needs to showcase more women. You know, yesterday we celebrated the 100th anniversary of women getting the right to vote, but all of the showcases during the convention so far from just Pennsylvania were all men. So, you know, I am a Demo- I am a Democrat, I am a delegate, and I like the convention and I do think it's doing its part. But here in Pennsylvania, we have to do more to showcase our female leadership, which we do have.
0: Looks like we've got a problem here pushing for that our women in Pennsylvania. That that's also reflected, I think, in our numbers in the legislature, unfortunately. But but you're in a prime position to put that pressure on Rajette. <laughs> you know, so what you know but as you look at it overall i mean were you pretty much uh, are you pretty much satisfied going forward uh, except for that issue of i also think there is a generational
3: divide you know I- we're supposed to analyze i think we need to talk about the convention as a whole yes i do think the convention as a whole is appealing to the base i do think that they are also appealing to moderates and independents But I do think all of the keynote speakers at the last hour last night were over the age of 60. Now, you did have Congresswoman Cortez, who nominated Senator Bernie Sanders. But, you know, you hear some progressives asking, are there too many moderates and Republicans speaking because of the shorter speaking roles and not enough progressives, not enough. Young people. I've even heard criticism. Um, you know, Secretary, uh, former Secretary Julian
0: Castro also didn't get
3: a speaking that's what role. That
0: was going to bring up because that's an it, it. It's almost like when you have such diversity, you can't really please everyone <laughs> all the time. Well, I mean, but
3: that's I, just why you have to leave. If you think about it, a lot of people who are speaking, and I understand things go by seniority, but these are people that we see on the news on a daily basis because they're already in leadership positions are people who are former standard bearers, such as Senator John Kerry. So then when you also bring in Republicans every night, and when you're crushed into two hours, you're right, you can't put everyone in. So it is a balancing act, so but we have to make sure
0: that we are balancing it correctly. And especially because it's like... People want the stage, it seems. And if they don't get the stage, especially this this nature of people, they want to be in the center of attention. If they don't get it, they complain. But but Jeffrey, let me bring you in here. If there were, I mean, Colin Powell is impressive to have come, crossed over to, to publicly support Joe Biden in this. Kasich, we saw he's done this. I mean, are you telling me this is not reaching some moderate Republicans that are saying, well, maybe we should join
1: them? Exactly. First of all, Colin Powell, in essence, hasn't been a Republican for decades. He's your basic liberal. And, you know, once graduated from the Reagan administration, I mean, he sort of went left all the time. And and even George. Wasn't he in the Bush
0: administration?
1: Yes, yes. He was secretary of state. But but notice that he was done after one term. He was not reappointed. And, you know, over over time, his comments and everything. I do I begrudge him. I mean, God bless America, but no, a representative a, of the a a representative of Republicans, leader, he, he is not.
0: Folks, so he's very much admired, and I'm I'm just saying he found a way to be considered himself a Republican at one point, but he's crossed over. Kasich the same way, but you have a, a slew of them that seem to be coming over to the. I mean, that's not causing any angst in you. I mean, as you look at it, you just said, "Oh, what a no. shame."
1: No, alive. because I, I as I say, I I have seen this before. Uh, this kind of thing went on with Ronald Reagan and people like this in the day could not abide Ronald Reagan. And he was a loser and he was gonna you know, and they say all kinds of terrible things that are very similar to what they now say about Donald Trump. And Reagan just rolled along and and defeated them. Um, they never really got over it. They just didn't like him. That was just sort of the way this goes. One other thing, though, I want to go back and talk for just a second about family issues. I mean, I don't know this, but I am guessing that uh, at the convention, if not on the uh, campaign trail next week, is the not inconsiderable issue of Hunter Biden and various Biden family members seeming to use the vice presidency for profit, for family profit. And I do think that that is going to come back and haunt the campaign, haunt the Biden campaign to some degree. To what degree, I couldn't say at this point. But, you know, that was really quite hot for a bit. And then, with the pandemic and everything, uh, it, along with all sorts of other things, took a backseat. But I imagine that will reemerge.
0: I guess it will. But why don't we take a break right here? We can talk about the profit the children are making off of their their famous uh, parents. When we come right back, so stay tuned. We'll be right back with battleground PA. Okay, we were back, and, and Jeffrey raised the issue of Hunter Biden and how that is likely to impact. But We've got the children issue of, in the White House right now as well. Again, uh, you can join us. Give us uh, an email. Send so us an email at topics at battlegroundpa.org, or you can join us on Facebook or Twitter at Battleground PA. So let's bring in our analysts again. John, why don't we bring this up to you? Jeffrey raised the issue of will Hunter Biden become a liability, and as you look at perhaps how he used his father's influence as vice president. But we also have the issue of the influence of the children of uh, Donald Trump around him, and there's a lot of them around him. How do you think that's going to play?
1: Well, there are two different kinds of – I mean, first of all, the, the Trump family famously are billionaires. So it's not a question of using your government position to make money. The Bidens, on the other hand, were not, were not wealthy exactly at all.
0: I think that's they, exactly they, what the critics are saying, that they're using it to make money. That his daughter is daughter still doing her business. John, why don't we bring you in here? How are you looking at this?
2: I think, like Jeffrey mentioned in the previous segment, was correct in the sense that this was an issue that Republicans were talking about earlier in 2020. But once the coronavirus pandemic hit, I think it kind of did take a backseat. However, that's an issue where I think Republicans feel that they can sway voters on. However, I don't know exactly if that's going to be the number one issue on voters' minds, considering that the coronavirus pandemic has kind of emerged as this all-encompassing issue that is affecting. I agree with that, John. And I I think I'd
1: agree with that. It's in the mix, but it won't be job one. It'll just be out there.
3: it's just hypocritical.
1: It's very hypocritical.
3: The Trump children have also have benefited. From their father being president i mean we're talking real estate sales we're talking the disappearing of anti-nepotism laws we're looking at them getting certain things from intellectual property from china free advertising you know they've used the position as uh to benefit themselves so i mean if the republicans in the trump campaign wants to bring up anything about the biden's you know let them I'm sure the Biden's don't mind them bringing anything up and answering these questions. But you have to be ready to address issues within the Trump family as well. And that's the problem that I see with the current Republican Party and the current Trump campaign and administrations. They always want to point out things on other people, but they don't want to. Be accountable in answer to what they themselves do. Well,
1: the and I don't is think how the do, Democrats no, are to do that
3: no, this time.
1: To, to, the essential to, question you, is how do people with no money in the beginning become rich and the only thing they've done is serve in government? And how does somebody in the private sector lose money and the only thing he's done is? serve in government.
0: Well, let, let's move on to the coronavirus. since that is a huge issue. I think that is the issue of this campaign. It's certainly one that was taken up at, during the uh, Jill Biden, Dr. Jill Biden's speech last night. But a new CNN poll apparently says this is what uh, points out seven in 10 Americans say the U.S. response to the coronavirus outbreaks makes them feel embarrassed. And uh, they, uh, 62% of them, placed it right with President Donald Trump. 58% find disapproval of his handling of this virus and protecting Americans. And guess what? About eight in ten say they are at least somewhat angry about the way things are going in the country today. And of course, I could go on and on. You guys can look at this poll, but it I don't think we can challenge uh, the fact that many Americans are angry about this. Many Americans believe that the economy really no longer is on the right path, not necessarily because of the president, but because of the virus, but because the president isn't handling the virus well. That does not look bode well from him. And uh, it looks like some of this is being translated to, to support for Joe Biden. I don't know if you picked up on any of this, John, in, in in your reporting and in what you're looking at in Pennsylvania.
2: Absolutely. So if you you remember the first time you had me on the podcast in February, we talked about, you, you, you asked me, what are the biggest issues for the election? And this is pre-pandemic. And it was shaping up that the Republicans wanted to tout the economy and Democrats wanted to talk about health care. Well, both those issues are still important. But we'd be lying if we think they're the two issues at the front you know, the front page right now. It's definitely the coronavirus pandemic. And poll after poll shows that Donald Trump specifically does not have high approval rating for his response to the coronavirus pandemic nationally. And of course, since this is Pennsylvania-based podcast, he doesn't have good reviews of it in the state either. So if that's the biggest issue on voters' minds, that's not going to help Trump because, I mean, again, all the recent polls, and I know in 2016, I know, Trump campaign and uh, those uh, supporting Trump will point to polls in 2016, say how wrong they were then. But again, right now, the real clear politics average shows Biden beating Trump right now in the state of Pennsylvania by around six and a half points. And even yesterday, there was an internal poll from Heritage Action, you know, the Republican back group, that showed Biden leading by a couple points. And that's from a GOP-friendly poll. So I think everyone would agree right now that the coronavirus pandemic is playing a pretty significant role in the election However, we're still 80-plus days out, so we know other issues can emerge. But as of now, I think the coronavirus pandemic has largely hurt Donald Trump's chances of re-election. That does not mean by any means that he's lost yet. But having said that, I think right now it's de- it's definitely been a – I think there's a direct correlation between the, the way the country views, the way the Trump administration handled the pandemic and his approval rating and his uh, head-to-head matchup against Biden.
0: Well, let, let's put it this way. There is one somewhat, I guess, bright spot. Uh, Jeffrey, I want to bring you most Americans are confident that the ongoing trials to develop a coronavirus vaccine are, you know, that's properly balancing the speed and safety. They believe that. So, they, you know, there's 62 percent there, at least somewhat confident. And that includes, looks like an agreement, at least according to this poll between Democrats and Republicans, 68 percent Democrats are confident, 60 percent. 60 cent Republicans. But I do want to wonder if the president may be hurting himself, Jeffrey, and kind of touting unproven, again, an unproven uh, treatment for, for this virus. Wouldn't he be better just to stick with the scientists? I mean, I don't know. What, what are you thinking about? Well, I, think
1: he, I think he certainly feels that he is. I mean, there are, after all, plenty of scientists out there who have given a thumbs up to hydroxychlorine. I mean, that's just fact. Well, you know, I actually think the biggest problem here, his biggest problem is the media, because the media, the mainstream media can't stand him. And so, I mean, this notion, for example, that he didn't do anything on the virus. I mean, I have in front of me a whole list of not put together by the Trump campaign, by the way, a whole list of days to start starting December 31st of 2019. When uh, the CDC, you know, went to China and said, you seem to have a problem. We want to help you, et cetera. They emailed the Chinese CDC and, and offered to send American scientists to China, and they got no response. So right. they did it again. They got no it. response.
0: Just fine. It's the big, big bad media that's that's not giving his message. Rajat, why don't we bring you in here? What I mean, how do you view this? Are you guys going to try to use this against him?
2: Sure. Polls are showing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Can used against him?
3: Yeah. Polls are showing that the handling of the coronavirus is one issue that Joe Biden continuously pulls ahead of the president. And, you know, the coronavirus has affected everyone, Uh, maybe not health-wise, but financially in every possible way it has affected people. Um, And as you notice uh, with our convention, every night a different aspect of the coronavirus is being highlighted and how we feel the administration has mishandled. This crisis. So, So I do think it's going to continue to be a main issue linked up to the election because, for argument's sake, say um, a vaccine does come, and I'm not saying it will, I don't think, but I'm just thinking ideal world, we have a vaccine next month and everyone gets vaccinated. You still have the financial aspect, downfall of the virus that people are going to be thinking about as they vote in November.
0: I I hear you, Rogette, but I'm going to tell you, I know that's at least 40% of which I fall in that don't trust the rushed vaccine. I wouldn't be, and I'm a vaccine vaccine. but I was just trying to put a
3: scenario together to show that I still think the coronavirus is going to be a main issue leading up to the election, because even if you take the health aspect out of it, you still have the financial impact on people's lives. So I don't see this going away anytime soon.
0: Well, yeah, I don't. Uh, Jeffrey, and I can't you... wait
3: to watch the Republican convention next week to see how the president and the Republicans are going to respond to what most people feel is a horrible response to this pandemic. So I am very well, curious I think
1: most you people, to see To the extent that most people feel that it's because of the media. I mean, I, I, I suspect that they will document in chapter and verse just what the response was, and they will not hesitate. To to note that on January 31st, when uh, Trump declared the the virus a public health emergency and issued his travel ban, that Joe Biden was out there saying he was xenophobic for doing this. As late as a month later, February 25th, there was wait, wait, wait,
0: to communicate. You have to to communicate what you're doing so that people understand it. And I think that was part of the issue he was saying. Sometimes he was saying one thing. Sometimes he was saying another thing. The communication during this whole thing has been abysmal. I mean, I think well, as there a communication was no,
1: there person. was no question of the at communication level, from Democrats. Nancy Pelosi was right there in the middle of Chinatown in San Francisco at the very end of February saying everybody should come to Chinatown. There's no problem here you but, know, so, so that and, is going to be again, brought out. I, mean, that
0: just rings hollow. I don't know, John, why don't you put, come into this? We're, we're, you know, we're debating these issues. Look at it from, you know, that just the kind of independent view. How do you think this is resonating with independent voters?
2: Well, again, like I was saying earlier, where this is definitely an issue where, again, this is just the polling tells you that Donald Trump does not have, you know, high remark uh, high marks right now for his administration's response to the coronavirus pandemic. And if anything, I, If you don't mind, I would like to pose a question to Jeffrey in the sense of, so next week with the Republican convention, which again, you're talking about, Jeffrey, about how you believe that the Trump administration has done a great job or a good job handling this pandemic. Even though the polling says they haven't, do you think again next week, will they try to make it a point to talk about the pandemic a lot, or maybe will they pivot to talking about the economy where if you look at polling, that seems to be where Trump, better. Like, why wouldn't? Oh, I think they'll focus on the economy without but, but, doubt. But, but I'm I saying, mean, will that will that be the main focal point? Are they going to try to ignore the coronavirus? Because I think it's tough to ignore the pandemic. But they also need to make it yeah, I don't a point about the economy. As well.
1: No, I don't think they'll ignore it. I just think that the main emphasis will be on on the economy, on how bad the economy was in the Obama Biden years, the slow growth, unemployment rates. I mean, all of this, the worst economic uh, recovery in the post-World War II era. I mean, there's chapter and verse that they will go into on that. And, you know, as you guys know, I always feel that that in any presidential election, generally speaking, is the main issue. But I'm sure they will touch on this at some point, on this meaning the virus. I mean, they have to.
0: Well, they have to touch on the virus. And here's the other thing that I think we we need to talk about, too, again, these schools reopening. And we're seeing pretty much a pattern developing. I would think that when they reopen, they got to (laughs) close because people come down with the virus. And we've got about, what, the next week or two, we're going to see more and more schools at least attempt to reopen and, Jeffrey, I know you you have a relative who's a teacher, but, I mean, this is going to impact, I believe, the elections when people see that nothing seems to be working short of staying home. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, John, I don't know. when Will the kids returning to school and having this problem, basically the virus continue to be spread? And that's probably going to happen shortly. And it's probably going to fall right at the time the Republican convention opens.
2: Correct. And I, again, I just don't see this issue going away. Last night in Dr. Joe Biden's address, I think we noted earlier that she delivered the speech in the classroom she taught at. So again, it's something that Democrats certainly want to talk about. You know, they wanted to stress that they believe it's going to affect going back to schools. And again, I think no one has the correct answer of how exactly to reopen the schools because it is a complex issue where I think you want to make sure you want students to learn. I guess you're going to try their best to do it as vir- do it virtually and make sure it's safe to do that.
0: That's just it. The, Rep- the Republicans or Donald Trump wants it open, right, Jeffrey? I mean, he really wants people back to normal. Is that right? I mean, is that the message that's going to be coming out back to
1: normal? That's, that's certainly, it certainly is one of them, but there's no question. I mean, I think the only people who are going to have the ultimate decision here are, are parents. And I certainly, in, in reading, doing some reading on this, I have seen parents out there on both sides of this. One side says, you know, I'm not sending my kid into this kind of environment. And another parent says, my kid needs to be in school physically with other kids and learn how to socialize with other people. And I am definitely sending my child back. So
0: yeah, I mean, I guess the question that I have and that people are looking at, yes, that's a wonderful sentiment, but what if your kid ends up in the hospital? Or mm-hmm. worse yet, what if he comes and brings it back home to grandma? There's, there's other pieces to this.
3: You know, not every parent is able to homeschool a child. And I'm not advocating opening up the schools, but these are real issues that need to be dealt with. I know here in Dauphin County with the city of Harrisburg, they're going virtual. However, for parents who have to work, and can't leave their right. children who are young at home by themselves. There's a lot to this. And unfortunately, sometimes people only see it from their point of view. But when you're an elected official and a parent, obviously, you have to look at the, the the broader picture. But they're putting together ways that children won't be home by themselves because they're too young to be home by themselves, that they can be somewhere and still be educated. You know, there's a digital divide in this country. Again, it's mm-hmm. it's showing the haves and, the have-nots. and, yes, and have nots. And this virus continues to showcase them. that, especially <laughs> when it comes to educating our children. So, you know, this is a huge, and John already said it, it's a huge complex issue that local communities along with the school boards and parents need to figure out so that literally no child is left behind.
0: Right. But will these have not, will the people who really are suffering, will they get out to vote? Because that's the key right there. Will they register and will they get out to vote? But why don't we go moving on to voting? The last topic I wanted us to take up was what's going on with the post office? I I mean, we're in a whirlwind here. First, there are all these changes and then the postmaster general changes it again and says, no, he's gone too far. So Jeffrey, you want to fill us in here with just what's going on? I know you have concerns over mail-in voting, but what is happening now that he's backed away from that?
1: Well, I, I think that is still to be seen here. But I will say this. I, I think this paranoia, if anybody is entitled to the paranoia, it's Republicans because Democrats, let's say, uh, I'm old enough to remember the Kennedy-Nixon election and all those uh, dead Democrats in Chicago who seem to turn up at the last minute to uh Illinois for Senator Kennedy. You know, their their record with this kind of thing, landslide, Lyndon won by 84 votes when he ran for election as senator from Texas in 1948. Their their record for this kind of thing is not very good to begin with. You add in the technical problems, and this, this is a potential technical problem. If you suddenly overwhelm the mail system with a zillion Mail in ballots, and you've got 50 states with different election rules, deadlines, and all this kind of thing. And the post office itself is warning states that they may not be able to, you know, make their deadlines. You've got a problem here. And the last thing we want to find is when the polls close on election night, that we're in one of these CAD situations as we were in 2000 where ballots are in dispute and the election drags on and on and on and on. That's not going to be good for anybody, not to mention whoever right,
0: wins. can figured out problems and dealt with them. But, Rojette, why don't we bring you in here? You guys, uh, the Democrats, will be promoting mail-in voting, right?
3: Yes, and, you know, what Jeffrey is talking about, what the Republicans are trying to do is they're trying to suppress votes. That's basically what this is. I mean, uh, President <laughs> no. Don- Donald Trump said himself that he opposed – uh, funding the post office because he does, doesn't want to see it used for mail-in voting. I quoted his words. I'm not just making that up. He said that himself. The postmaster general has reversed course. He's not going to make any further changes until after the election. Twenty plus states, some Republican states as well, have lawsuits against the administration because they're, you know, they're fooling with the mail, which isn't just for voting. It's for also getting medicine receiving goods from businesses it's 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 a staple of this country for for centuries now um as far as fraud is concerned studies have been done for forever by all political sides that there is no fraud now can you point to a case or two where there is an issue of course but there is there is no widespread fraud with vote by mail and if we can file our taxes by mail we can, we can vote by mail this is just a voter suppression tactic being used by the Republicans. And, and well, the fact, I
1: would I would su- I would suggest okay. that voter ma- that that mail by ballot itself has the potential of being serious voter fraud, denying people their you know ballots that don't get counted. I mean thousands of these ballots in in this New York situation were not counted or were were stashed somewhere. I mean it was it was a mess. That's voter suppression, and that was just within. The Democratic Party, with one Democrat running against another Democrat, and, so, and only for a seat in Congress, not for the presidency.
0: So, John, as you look at this are, and, and around our are, are independence people who are not necessarily partisan, do they see mail-in voting as a problem, or are they pushing for this, So, what, from what your, your perspective is?
2: Again, so going back, uh, we've talked about how mail-in voting is a rather new phenomenon in Pennsylvania. Primary was kind of the first time we got to really see it play out. And there were the, there was counties that uh, everything went really smooth. An example would be Allegheny County, being the second most populated county in the state. Everything went really smooth there. Uh, every, all the results came in pretty quickly, and there wasn't a lot of concerns there. However, in Philadelphia, where I live in you know, the largest county of the state, again, I don't think there was problem. It didn't seem as though there was a fraud issue in Philadelphia with the primary. However, there was an issue, the timing of the results of, as the ballots were coming in. However, I know there are legis- there's legislation out there to try to count votes earlier, so I guess I think Republicans and Democrats would agree hopefully some type of legislation and deal could be struck that we're not waiting for weeks for the presidential results. You know that I mean it it's most importantly, we want it to be a safe election where there's no fraud. However, I think Democrats and Republicans alike would agree that we hope we're not in a scenario where we're waiting. Weeks on end to find out who is the president. I think independents, by and large, again, I would say they're probably, I'd say more pulling a show more than more independents than not have supported mail and vote. But having said that, it's not a, like Democrats, by and large, have really embraced it. They made it a big part to push this uh, form of voting. The Pennsylvania Democratic Party has really promoted it, saying it's a safe way if you're if you're weary of going to the ballots during the pandemic, you have the option of voting by mail. And some Republicans, again, haven't embraced it. However, I think President Donald Trump for the past couple of months has been saying he doesn't trust vote by mail. And again, we're going to see a real divide on Election Day where Trump remains popular within the Republican Party, and I think a lot of Republicans are going to take his lead and vote in person. However, a lot of Democrats. Well, he,
0: voted, but he voted by mail, John. He, he, he voted
2: by mail. No, he, voted, not, not choice. he voted absentee, and there's a big
1: difference. Well,
3: that, no, there's not. There's not a difference. To the average
1: yes, there, is. It a there is. is. It's, there's qu- it's quantitative. It, <laughs> no. It's quantitative. The All number right. of absentee ballots is nothing compared to having everybody vote by mail, everybody in the country. Well, I mean, it, that it is, rent is rent a huge balance. difference. There
3: are some <laughs> states, that's how they vote. Some states only vote by mail. And can I just touch on one thing that John said? You know, one of the mistakes when Pennsylvania implemented the mail is they allowed each individual county to sort of come up with their own rules on how they were going to conduct, meaning some some counties had drop boxes, some did not. There are different, some uh, counties started counting earlier than other counties. Like here in Dauphin County, it wasn't until two days after the election that they even started counting uh, the ballots. Some counties are larger, so they have larger staff. Some aren't. So, you know, one thing that they're trying to, and this is why you need leadership from the top, going back to coronavirus, we needed a national plan from the top to give the state some guidance. Now the state in Pennsylvania is going back and trying to do a statewide guidance to give the counties so that we don't have those issues with the mail-in voting we had in the primaries for the uh, general. So all the states will be using the same guidelines versus coming up with their own. So I, and, and this is a bipartisan, and I just want to point out too, this is a bipartisan effort. A lot of these changes, both sides agree on. So I do expect them to go
2: through before the election. Well, and I one
0: it, one thing, one master thing. plan. Go ahead, John. I'm sorry. Quickly.
2: No, I'm sorry. No, I so said one thing I may add quickly is that it's not I, I do want to stress that not every Republican is rejecting vote by mail. I do want to make that clear where oh, I know I have op eds from Republicans who are supporting <laughs> vote by mail. So I'm so just say. saying that President Trump's base of voters are more apt to follow his lead and he remains popular in the Republican Party. However, again, we've seen these uh, vote by mail initiatives to uh, former Governor Tom Ridge is involved in uh, one of those initiatives, Vote Safe, And you even have a former, I believe it's majority leader, uh, Dave Reed as well, who partnered, uh, who's leading the Pennsylvania, or he's co-leading the Pennsylvania effort with former Democratic congressman Patrick Murphy. So again, I want to stress that, again, Trump has been pretty adamant in his opposition to vote by mail, and Trump remains popular in the Republican Party. So I think by and large, Republicans will follow Trump's lead, or at least listen to what he's saying, and their skepticism with vote by mail. However, I do want to stress that not every Republican feels the same way.
0: Right, right. Well, here's where I I fall down. I do think that we should all be in agreement that we need to have a way that people who feel uncomfortable or have health issues and they can't go into a polling place or they're risking something there needs to be an alternative way they can vote and we need to focus our efforts on figuring out what is that safe alternative way so that
1: alternative is the absentee ballot
0: well that would be working there needs to be a plan that lets people like me who don't want to risk anything or worse The woman that we learned has a heart transplant. She doesn't want to walk and she wants to vote, but she doesn't want to walk into a polling place and, and expose herself. There needs to be a bipartisan effort to figure out what to do. What is the right thing to do? I think we need do? a can bipartisan effort. But we have that bipartisan we,
3: method. We have it with the mail in voting. That was the bipartisan bill that was passed. But but
0: have I think method. we need Some it. Republicans, Trump and others don't feel comfortable with that. So what I'm asking is that can they come up with another plan that would work?
1: I think and, we and, need a bipartisan a bipartisan effort to get Joyce Davis to vote in person. And I'll drive you. <laughs> ain't
0: gonna happen. <laughs> now I will vote. I will vote, but I will, you know, whatever. But still, it should not be a case of anyone feeling that they are risking their lives. And that's what I'm calling upon Republicans and Democrats to do. Figure it out. We're supposed to be able to figure out these problems. Especially,
3: but they when- have figured it out, though. This is just a political ploy. Yep. And, you know, you obviously, so uh, Jeffrey's going to say I'm a partisan, you know, saying as a partisan. Oh, I'd a never say ploy. that. <laughs> now, it it's it's a fact. This was a bipartisan bill that was agreed by both chambers, leaderships of both chambers. I'm speaking specifically to Pennsylvania here. It was voted through. This was a bipartisan bill that both sides, that you're never going to have something that everyone's going to agree with. That's just not life. You learn that in kindergarten, of course but this was a bipartisan bill and now they're working together to make sure that we don't have the longevity of the counting of the votes and some of the other issues we had in the primary but you know the Trump administration had uh, earlier this week or was it last weekend that they had to prove there was voter fraud in Pennsylvania but a federal judge required them to show that they have yet to provide that there's any voter fraud in Pennsylvania on on the June 2nd primary so that's, to me the that's issue is closed
0: That's because Pennsylvania is such a wonderful place to live. And we've got wonderful people, including analysts like Rajette, and like Jeffrey and like John Cole. So with that, we have to agree and leave it here until our next Battleground PA. But thank you all once again for joining us. And thank you, our wonderful readers and listeners now for, you know, being here to discuss clearly what the topics that are very important for the future of our country and for the 2020 election. So thank you all. And I will see you all next week.
1: This was Battleground PA. Be sure to rate and subscribe to us so you don't miss a beat. Have an idea for an episode? Tweet us at Battleground PA or email us at topics at battlegroundpa.org. Meanwhile, stay in the know between episodes on PenLive.com. Battleground PA is hosted by PenLive's opinion editor, Joyce Davis, and is produced by Pen Studios director, Salim Michelle McClough, and edited by Martin Boutros. More info and past episodes can be found at battlegroundpa dot org.